Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Bridget. Hey, Terry. There's a saying that depression isn't a casserole illness. When we're down or deeply within, no one shows up with a casserole or chicken noodle soup. There's no cast to be signed, no get well notes, no GoFundMe site. And honestly, some of us prefer it that way. We just want to be left alone until it passes. Or we think that's what we want because that's what we've always done. Right. But what we don't want, what we never want is to have our illness, our pain, our reality dismissed. Just because it's not visible and there's no test like a throat culture that can come back positive. Or very, very negative. Or very, very negative. Does not mean that mental illnesses are not real, as real, and as debilitating as physical illnesses. But we all know those people who don't understand that who even if or when they try to be sympathetic, are so uninformed it sort of rings hollow. Gary, today's guest, was that guy. He had the luxury of not understanding depression's destruction. He had the privilege of thinking it was a choice until he didn't. Today, in a really vulnerable conversation, Gary takes us on his journey from doubting the illness to fearing it. Okay, so I'm going to start with your understanding of depression. What did you think depression was? What did you think it wasn't? And where did those beliefs come from? I think the only thing that I knew were young people were taking their own life, and I didn't understand why. Because how could you possibly get to be so depressed that you would do that? That was unconscionable to me. And what did so depressed mean? What did depressed mean? Giving up on life when there are so many other options. I just, it it wasn't logical to me for somebody, particularly a youngster, to do that. I I couldn't couldn't even comprehend it. Did, Did you think it was not a real illness? I would never have classified it as an illness. Okay. I have been, and my whole life was wrapped around believing in positive expectation. And I couldn't figure out, or it was bewildering to me, that people couldn't just fix and be positive rather than be negative. And so it wasn't even a real thing to me because I just figured everybody could do that. You have choices, and... I couldn't imagine somebody would would choose to be negative and dark and believe that they were worthless. So I, it was like something that I had no 
zero appreciation for because I just thought people should be able to will themselves out of being negative and not being happy. Mm-hmm. And did depression equal suicide in your mind? Yes. Probably my only awareness of that. That was the only thing that was in my world that was definitively depression-based. And so when did that change? Your understanding? When my daughter went over the edge and we were instructed by the school to actually get her a, a psychologist to actually evaluate her uh, because there were a bunch of stuff that we didn't know about was going on in school and they were fortunate that they actually identified it mm-hmm. and um, we had a glorious psychologist that had a very very mild demeanor and was a perfect match for our daughter and um, after three or four sessions she said we have major issues here she sent us to a psychiatrist who, after spending 45 minutes with her, said, you got to get her out of that school. Because he determined that that's where all of the issues were, was at school. She said, just take her out. She may not survive if you don't take her out. And, you know, it's like getting hit in the face with a sledgehammer because... Because five minutes earlier, you didn't even know she had an illness. Right, right. We knew that there was stuff going on, but they're teenage, Mm -hmm. eighth grade girls. Yeah. And it was so severe that it, you don't just get popped into the psych ward in a hospital and we'll keep her here until we think she's capable of surviving. So it was like, you had to understand it and had to figure it out, no choice. And he prescribed that she be institutionalized. And at that point, you know, we were very naive. We didn't know anything, but you had to trust these people mm-hmm. because they were seeing very, very, very serious depression that our daughter had. So she went in and... The psychiatrist said, you can't go see her while she's there until she says it's okay. That was very frightening because we go do the visit Mm -hmm. and it's a psych ward in a hospital, probably 45 bed ward. Mm -hmm. And it was frightful because of the people that were in there, and then here's my daughter gonna go into that institution. Um, And I had no idea completely at that point in time how severe her situation was. And she was in the institution for 40 days. And um, those were the longest 40 days I had ever seen. How many days between you being told she was seriously ill and you bringing her there? Less than a week. And then you bring her to a place that you just find frightening. What was that like leaving and what was that drive home like? It was the most frightening thing that ever happened to me in my life. Because I knew she was a wounded human. And 
going into the ward to see where she was going to be and then seeing the other children that were in there that looked to me like they were way worse off than my daughter at that point in time, uh, it was shocking. It's a world that I had never known. So it was very, very difficult to walk away at that point in time. Okay, so 12 days later, she tells her therapist, I'm ready to see my parents. Right. There was like a weekly group session. 40 or so of these kids were in a room, and the parents could be there, and they would tell us kind of what was going on. But we couldn't have contact with our daughter. She was in the room. So that happened twice before she allowed us to come there. And it was shocking to me because we didn't have a bad relationship with our daughter. Mm -hmm. But it was it was just a period of time where it felt so out of control. Because one, I don't even know what depression is. And trying to get up to speed on what it really is... And the psychiatrist was meeting with her daily for that period, first period of time that she was in. And he instantly prescribed medication, two different types. And quite honestly, she could not have survived without that medication. And he said that she's so severe that it has to be genetic. Did you have any information about her biological parents? No. Okay. We weren't even supposed to know their names. We adopted her uh, in Hungary. Mm -hmm. She went into the orphanage when she was six months, and we didn't adopt her until she was three and a half. So we're back to 12 days. Are we still there? Yes. What, what was the, the progression of her treatment? They felt like they had to get her over a hump of understanding what was going on in her world. Mm-hmm. Do you mean her outside world or her internal mental world? Yes. Both. both. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I don't think she un understood what was wrong. So once you were exposed to severe depression, were you able to accept it as an illness? Yes. Tell me about that. <laughs> First comment, I guess, would be I had no choice because it was so real, so acute. And I don't know how we didn't know it before. Um, but here she was, this gorgeous little crazy girl. Don't say crazy. I mean, I crazy fun. Mean. Okay. Okay. Um, but that whole world just went upside down, and there were these all these horrid things that were going on in my little girl's mind. And it was instantaneous that you actually figured it out. When you go to the sit down with the psychiatrist and he tells you where your daughter is at, it's like mind-blowing that it's possible. And, you know, he basically grabbed us by the lapels and said, this is serious. So we didn't have any choice but to actually get inside it and f figure it out because it's the only way that we could help support her and keep her alive. 
So now, aside from your daughter, now we should say she is alive and an adult, mm-hmm. and you say doing well. And I don't see any evidence of her being depressed in any way, shape, or form like she was. Good. And uh, she's a glorious mom, and she's living a good life at the moment, so... Wonderful. Yeah, we're very lucky. Okay. When you hear someone say they live with depression, they suffer depression, they battle depression, whatever verb they choose to use, how do you hear that now as someone on the other side of that experience? I have the highest level of regard for depression and what it does to people and how supportive you really need to be of and be paying attention to look out for it and ask questions. I have encouraged people that, you know, I hear the stories about what's going on in their family. I said, you need to check them because I understand, I believe that it's a disease and there are things that can be done to save them. So to a person who has not had a personal experience with depression, and might be thinking, hey, why don't you just be positive, like you, you were thinking. What, what do you say to anybody who might be listening who is thinking that somebody who is is perhaps you know, not legitimately ill because there isn't a test for it? And you can't say, well, you know, last week was really rough. My, I had a 10.7 on the you know, depression Richter scale or whatever. I don't know that depressed people will talk about it. I would get the sense that they personally would not tell anybody about it, but people that aren't depressed might be able to identify it if they started looking for it and if they knew that it was real. And if they knew it was real. It is real. Gary, I have the highest level of regard for you. Um, thank you for you know modeling, learning, and growing, and sharing your experience. Yeah, right. It's one thing to have that experience, and it's another, you know, to go on a podcast and say I didn't know anything, and you know, I learned it the hard way. So I am also very grateful for um, that honesty and vulnerability. Next week, we will be looking at ways to prevent relapse. So it's a word not often associated with depression, more often with addictions, but it works. Um, Just ways to stay out of it when you're out of it. And I'd like to quickly circle back since it is the beginning of a year. Um, In past episodes, we've offered little challenges. We've offered the... um, Dr. Zach Bush, four-minute workout, and the suggestion that every day we do little acts of kindness and both of these to, um, you know, help pick ourselves up and buoy ourselves as well as those around us. And Terry and I continue on most days to rise to those small challenges, and I am really curious if any of our listeners have, and if so, what their experience is. So as always, please reach out and let us know. Thank you. You can do that via our Facebook community page, which is just giving voice to depression, or email us right now just at my email, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, at givingvoicetodepression.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. 
We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.